Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Join me in a word of prayer, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, we want to worship you and honor you this morning. And Lord, as we continue to look at scripture for our guidance and instruction and correction and uh, even inspiration, Lord, that it will be your Holy Spirit leading us and, and guiding us. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. First of all, just a heads up. Um, if, if you didn't know, we are going to do communion later on today, and I'll give more specific instructions on that, but we are going to do uh, communion um, after the, the service today. And so just so you know that that's coming up. Um, so we are in a sermon series called Challenge Accepted, and we're going to do this for the first half of the year. And what we're doing is um, each month we're taking um, what would classically be called like a spiritual discipline and focusing in on that, studying that, um, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so February, the, the challenge that we're looking at is messy prayers, and, and more specifically prayers that are done in a household um, daily and then reading scripture together at least weekly. And when I say household, that pretty much, like that is a very broad definition, right? That's everything from nuclear family to multi-generational living to even college roommates, um, you know, sharing a, an apartment together or something like that, right? I mean, it is literally just a group of people under a, a roof coexisting, okay? So that's our, our broad definition of household. And and the, the descriptor on this is messy prayers because the goal is not perfection and the goal is not something that's very polished and refined and elegant. The goal is just do it with an understanding that this is probably going to be a bit messy and we're going to kind of figure this out as we go, right? And so the emphasis is just kind of fumble your way in and do it, right? Um, we're not expecting perfection. We just, we just want to initiate, and wherever it is that we're at on this, to just kind of bump it up to the next level, whatever that may be. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about some of the research behind this. It was very fascinating. And then we talked through a whole slew of ideas um, on just, you know, here's maybe where you're at and what would it look like to, to go to the next level on this. And, um, and so today, I actually want to look at a couple of the prayers that we find in Scripture. There are so many prayers recorded in Scripture, right? I mean, the book of the Psalms alone, we've got 150 prayers slash worship songs, but even if you exclude those 150, there are still dozens of other prayers of all kinds scattered all throughout scripture that we can look at and learn from okay today we're going to cover two i was going to go for three but i ran out of time so we're only looking at two but there's there's oodles more that that we could be be looking at um also for for messy prayers it, it, to understand if 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 we understand messy to mean quick um, in the moment, heartfelt, heartfelt and sincere, but they don't have to be polished. Like, they really have a sense of rawness about them, all righty? And we find a couple examples like that in Scripture. 
Um, we're going to look at one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. One very much has that sense of just kind of like raw, like heartfelt, but kind of raw and unpolished. The other one's a little bit more perhaps polished, but it's a fantastic prayer to pray over people, especially over your kids. This past week, my family and I were in Denver um, for uh, hopefully the, the last time. Uh, we were there to deal with uh, my uncle's estate. My uncle, uh, my aunt passed away about two years ago, and then my uncle passed away at, at the end of last year. And, um, you know, and so then, the, you know, there's mad- matters of just, you know, dealing with the, with the body and, and how you want to do, do that. But then there's, the, and they didn't have any children, but then there's just the matter of their home. Right, and so there is a house full of memories and stuff and household goods and that kind of thing, and none of us live close. And so we've been doing kind of these quick trips out there, um, or sprint trips um, to 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 handle all this stuff. And so they were short and intense, and we we needed a whole lot of things to go just right. A whole, particularly around people, right? Because we're not from Denver. We don't have the personal connections on, on how to do all this. So if we understand messy prayers as quick and raw and heartfelt and unpolished but sincere, we did a lot of messy prayers on these trips. A lot of messy prayers. Um, and I would say that even though we came back exhausted, like things went so well, so well especially around dealing with people and connections and the timing of stuff. Like, uh, I, I think we would actually struggle to imagine a scenario that, that went better. Um, for, even, for all the work that, that had to be done, our connections with, with people has just been fantastic. I mean, it, was, it really was miraculous. Today we're going to look at two prayers. One Old Testament, one New Testament. One and a great example of just an impromptu, raw, messy prayer. One a little bit more polished, but a great prayer for kids or just praying over people. The first prayer um, is done by a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Now, a little bit of background on this, just because I think context and setting and and broader storyline really helps us understand what's going on. Um, You have the nation of Israel. Okay, let me just lead into this. You've got the nation of Israel. They went through a, a, a... a split or a divorce or, or something, um, and the, the ten of the tribes, um, they grouped together, the northern ten tribes, they kept the name Israel, um, but then you have the southern two tribes, they split off, and then they called themselves Judah, which is why in Old Testament reading you'll hear a lot about Israel, Judah, Israel, Judah, Israel, Judah. It's because it's talking to these, these two nations, right? So, and both of these groups, the, the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes, they had a whole series of kings after the split, some good, some bad. Um, for Judah, Hezekiah was one of their kings, and he was one of their good kings. He was their 13th king. He reigned for 29 years. During his reign, they watched as the Assyrians came in and conquered Israel to the north, hauled them all away as slaves. Brutal, awful, um, gruesome, massacre, how they were treated. It was horrific, right? So the small little nation in the south watches as this northern country just gets demolished and hauled away. Then the Assyrians turn their attention to Judah, and they attack. Uh, They conquer a few cities. Hezekiah hopes to appease them. 
So he takes literally all the gold and the silver that can be found, I mean, in the nation. Anything that, that's in his palace, and then he goes over to the temple, right? Like they had decorative stuff on the walls and all that kind of stuff. He strips all of that off, all the gold and silver he can find. He sends it to the Assyrians in, in the hopes of appeasing them. It doesn't work. Um, they don't go away. They come and they attack Jerusalem. Um, everyone is distraught. Everyone is completely demoralized. Um, and, they, and the Assyrians kind of issue these threats, that kind of thing. Hezekiah goes into the temple, uh, and he prays. And that's the prayer that we're going to look at in just a minute. He prays. After that prayer, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, shows up and tells, um, tells Hezekiah, look, God has said that the, the Assyrians are going to go home and that their king is going to get, um, he's going to die back home, and so don't worry about it right? And that's it. There, there's not much for like the how and the why other than that they're going to leave and, and that kind of thing. At some, and I don't know if it's the next night or how long this takes, according to scripture, an angel of the Lord shows up and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in their sleep that night, which just like sometime when you have a few minutes dwell on, I don't even know the right word, the logistics of 185,000 dead bodies in an encampment just outside your city? Like, I don't know, okay. Angel of the Lord comes and does that. So the Assyrians pack up, they go home. While they're at home, their king gets um, assassinated by his only family members. Uh, I guess I didn't get along. So that's kind of the, the broader story. It would be easy to say, wow, that must have been a really great prayer that Hezekiah prayed to, to get to have all this happen, right? Like, if I could just get that formula, I'll just keep that one in my back pocket, right? But just a reminder that, that the wonder is not in the prayer. The wonder is in the God who responds. Because as we look into it, it's not a very, it's not a very eloquent prayer, okay? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty raw. Um, 2 Kings, we're going to read through this, uh, and then we'll, we'll break it down here a little bit. 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. Cherubim is a kind of angel. Um, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib. That was the, the king of the Assyrians. Um, which has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Verse 32. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Therefore, thus says the Lord, can, so Isaiah shows up, this is his message. There, uh, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. 
He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then in verse 35 is how it plays out. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, um, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So that's the storyline. Looking at his prayer. For starters, here's the thing that that I appreciate about Hezekiah's prayer. Is that at the very beginning, he comes in and he just lays everything before the Lord. Now, he does it in a very physical way because he has this letter. And so he, like, physically lays the letter. But he he, he sets it before God. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, read it, and then went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I'm a big believer in just being brutally honest with God. Because, if scripture is true, he knows it all anyways. So can we just be honest with him about whatever it is, given that he knows all of it? Like, it's just, it's the most ridiculous thing to lie to someone when they know the truth, right? And when you know that they know the truth. Like, I, it's just, so I love just that he just lays it all before the Lord. Then, at the beginning, he takes time to acknowledge that God is still God is still mighty. God is still holy. God is still strong. God is king, and and he is Lord. Regardless of what happens on earth, he acknowledges God is God, right? Uh, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Then there's this section in the middle, which is a little bit probably hard for us to understand. Just in that day and that culture, there was a lot of idols and worshiping other gods and, and making handmade idols and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's, I've been looking at it, trying to, trying to figure out what all was going through his head, but it's like he starts to ask for help. Um, and then he starts talking about all the bad things that, that the Assyrian king has done. And then there's, there's a section in the middle. Uh, he says, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib uh, when he was sent to mock the living God. And here he talks about how the Assyrians destroyed all, all the other gods from other nations they invaded. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire. And that's kind of, but, I mean, they were not gods. They were the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So he, he's either trying to make this a spiritual battle, which it was. I mean, David did the same thing when he fought Goliath. He basically pitted his God against Goliath's God, which is true. That's part of what was going on. Or Hezekiah legitimately has this fear of the Assyrians that, that they were able to do this, right? And they were able to destroy the, these other gods, and, and, and it bothers him. But either way... It's amazing because God steps in, and when God decides to step in, like at that point, the Assyrians don't stand a chance, right? Like it's over, um, and Judah is saved. There is 
a whole massive discussion, and I'm sure books have been written on this, um, that we could have on why stories like this are actually very hard. Because here you have the story where God steps in and by his own power just fixes everything in a night. All right? Yay. Fantastic. We love those stories. But at the same time, what do you do when that doesn't happen? Whether that's another story in Scripture or whether that's our own life story where God does not just step in and in the period of 24 hours fix everything instantly and miraculously in in a way that could only be him, right? And how do you navigate, we hope for this, but we've experienced this, and when do you expect one or the other, and how do you pray for that but still be okay with this when this happens, right? So, and we're not going to unpack it today other than to just acknowledge that, that while these stories can be encouraging, at sometimes they're very hard because, because what do we do when that's not my story? And we say, okay, we worship this God, but yet he didn't do that for me. There's a lot we could do there. We're not going to cover it today. My apologies. At the very end, he gets to the ask. Verse 19. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. That's it. That's the ask, right? It's not an eloquent prayer. Like, any one of you could have come up with that or more, right? Like, I mean, it's pretty, pretty raw, to the point, simple ask, here it is. Here's my first observation. One is that I do appreciate just the candor and the rawness of this prayer. It is not fancy. It is not eloquent. It acknowledges the problem. It it honors God as as king of kings and lord of lords. Um, There's that middle part that's a little bit confusing. I think that's some personal wrestling on his part where he's having to work through some stuff. And then there's the ask, which is a pretty short, to-the-point sentence, and that's about it. And then God comes in and does an awesome thing. And, and you have, and even God says it. Like, he goes, I'm going to save this city for my own reasons. It's not because your prayer was so good. I kind of have my own cause and agenda here. So I, I appreciate just that candor and that rawness of the prayer. And that scripture even took time to record it. Be like, look, here's a messy prayer, but then here's how God acted. Here's my second observation about this, and I don't have answers, I just have questions, but it does kind of raise the question around the order of events, right? So the Assyrians attacked, Hezekiah first gets all the gold and silver he can and tries to buy them off, that doesn't work, then Hezekiah does his prayer, and then the the Assyrians are wiped out. Okay, so if Hezekiah had started with a prayer, could he have maybe kept all the gold and silver? Right? Like, if we had switched these events, could some of this have been avoided? Um, And it's hard to say, and Scripture doesn't tell us. It just kind of gives us a quick summary. Maybe, maybe God wanted them in just that complete place of, of brokenness 
and desperation and need because they, they had just completely exhausted all other options. Maybe God wanted them in that place. That's, that's a viable explanation. Maybe if they just would have started with a prayer, all of this could have been avoided. That's a viable possibility as well, too. Um, regardless, the, the, the takeaway for us, prayer is not our last hope. Prayer is not our final desperate act. We've exhausted all other options. Everything else has failed. We have nothing left. Let's now resort to prayer at the end of all things. That is not our strategy. Right? Prayer is our first line of defense. When things start to go sideways, we pray first. Right? That is our first response. That is the first thing that, that we do. Hezekiah's prayer. Second prayer that I want to look at is from the New Testament. It was written by Paul. Um, it doesn't have kind of that same messiness, kind of verbal dump that, that Hezekiah had. Uh, but I, I want to look at it today. It, it is a great prayer to, to pray over your kids or your parents or your grandparents or even your neighbor, right? Like, this is just a great prayer to pray for people. And you can either pray it verbatim, like just print it out and read it word for word or use it as an outline. Either way. Um, again, a little bit of background. Um, A.D. 60-ish. Paul is in house arrest, so he can't leave the house. Apparently, he now has a lot of time because he proceeds to write the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, Philemon, Philippians. Maybe there were others, but he at least did all of those. So actually, house arrest served us very well. Um, Ephesians is very unique from the other books that Paul wrote. It's very generic, and it's very positive, very encouraging. doesn't call out people specifically for their sins. Um, some think it was actually designed to be circulated amongst a group of churches in the area. In the beginning of his prayer, or in the book, Paul includes this, right? So I'm in Ephesians, uh, I think it's chapter 1, yep, uh, verse 16. He writes this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul begins this way. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So, verse 16 tells us that there's a consistency here, right? Like, he prays this frequently. He prays this daily, all the time. He is consistent. He is repetitive. This is an ongoing thing. Again, like I said, this is a great one to pray over people. Write it out um, and just read it. Whether they know that you're praying this over them or not, just read it. Um, and do it for them them daily. There are seasons where it is okay to have a prayer that you just repeat over and over and over again. And then the season will change, and maybe you get a different prayer. But it's okay 
to have a scripted prayer, word for word, day after day, for a season until it's time to to shift to a, a different kind, all right? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So we're asking God that he would give the, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but the goal or the purpose is to know God more, right? So here's how I understand that sentence. Lord, they need your help to know you better. So please have your Holy Spirit give them wisdom and even supernatural insight and knowledge or whatever to know you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help them know you better. I've heard several people comment or or have read in several places that the Bible makes no sense until you're a believer. Right? Until you have the Holy Spirit living within you, this isn't going to make any sense. Like, you can try, but it's just, it, it's not going to make any sense. Um, there's even a scene in the New Testament. So, Jesus has had his apostles or his disciples, his 12 disciples with him, for three years. And then in John 20, at, at the close to the end of three years, Jesus breathed on the disciples so that they would understand Scripture. Okay, explain that one to me. And also, why did we wait until the end, and why did we not do that at the beginning? Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Eyes of your heart. Um, This is the extension or the result of the Holy Spirit empowering you and I to know God better. One commentator described it like this, and his wording was better than mine, so I'm just going to read it to you. Literally, this verse reads, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. We think of the heart as the emotional part of man. But in the Bible, the heart means the inner man. So that includes emotions, mind, and will. The inner man, the heart, has spiritual faculties that parallel the physical senses. The inner man can see... Psalm 119, John 3, can hear, Matthew 13, Hebrews 5, can taste, Psalm 34, 1 Peter 2, can smell, Philippians 4, 2 Corinthians 2, and touch, Acts 17. This is what Jesus meant when he said of the people, they see, they seen, see not, hearing, they hear not, the inability to see and understand spiritual things is not the fault of the intelligence but of the heart. The eyes of the heart must be opened by the Spirit of God. When you pray for someone that the eyes of their heart be opened, you are praying that that inner man knows God, sees God, experiences God, hears God, feels God, all of these things. When that spiritual awakening happens, there are several things that that happen. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then there's a big long description of his power. Towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The hope, the hope to which he has called us. Living hope, right? So it's Jesus Christ, a future hope. 
heaven and eternity with him, even a present hope, the Holy Spirit living within us and giving us direction and, dis- and discernment. Riches. We are his inheritance, but then there's also riches that we receive um, of, as an inheritance. A little bit of that happens on earth. That's going to be fully uh, granted in heaven. And then there's power. The, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now directed towards us. And I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure out the fullness of what that means. Other than that's a really big statement. That the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now directed towards us. Fantastic, messy prayer. Pray over your kids, pray over your family, pray over your neighbors. Imagine if all of these things come true for the person you pray them over. Imagine if all of that happened. How fantastic and miraculous that would be. The Bible has a lot of prayers. These are two of them, right? We got a few more dozen before we even dive into the Psalms. Um, But they can serve either as a a template where you just use the outline and build your own, or they can serve as a word-for-word verbatim where you just read it over people. Um, All kinds of of prayers for us to, to pray. I'm actually going to pray this over you, and then we're going to transition into communion. Dear Lord, I pray for everyone here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give every person here the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, I pray that this church may know what is the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.